This is Across Culture, the podcast exploring culture, identity, and the Christian faith. I'm Jessie, your host. Well, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of Across Culture. This one is an interview with Reverend Anna Paulson, who literally makes me smile every time she talks. But anyway, listen to this. It's an important one. See you on the other side. Welcome, Anna, to Across Culture Podcast. I'm so excited that you're here. Um, I know we planned this interview a long time ago. Well, at least I asked you about it months ago. Oh, even even before I started the podcast, I already asked you. Um, but thank you so much for still being willing to be part of this. I'd like to start off with you just saying hello, and then if you can just introduce yourself to our listeners, that would be great. Hi, everyone. I'm Anna Paulson. I'm a vicar in Southall. And um, it's really lovely, Jesse, to be with you and your listeners today. What an absolute privilege to be part of this. I think what you do is amazing. So this is a great honour for me. Thank you. And it's a great honour for me to have you as well. So why don't you tell us who you are, um, a little bit more about your interests, maybe? Yeah, so... We have been in Southall now for nearly 18 years and um, after training at Ridley Hall Theological College and then um, we moved to Alperton and served a curacy there and in Ealing. Uh, Mark, my husband, served in Alperton, I served in Ealing and then we came to Southall and so it's just such an incredible, diverse vibrant multi-religious multi-ethnic area and we are so blessed because the church just entirely reflects that so um large group of christian asians at our church african caribbean worshippers um uh, and more recently iranian worshippers so really beautiful um, diverse, vibrant church, and we just thank God for the absolute privilege of serving here. Wonderful. And how does your church reflect the diversity of the peoples who are in it? So in all areas, really. So our, our mission action plan starts with the vision of Revelation 7 and the great multitudes gathered around Jesus in worship. And uh, that's at the very heart of who we are. And we try to make sure that in all our ministries and in all our leadership, uh, we reflect that great multitude gathered around Christ. So um, whether it's in our Sunday worship or our weekday community ministries, um, in, in our PCC and how we organise the governance side, um, how we work together as a body united around Christ, um, but also celebrating our differences is really at the heart of, of everything that we seek to be. Great. Yeah, that, that's really good and really important because I do think that, especially in the white majority church, that doesn't happen so much. Not just white majority, actually, any other majority church, when there is 
um, people who are from minority cultures or backgrounds, then the difference isn't often celebrated. Rather, mm-hmm. I feel like the minorities feel like they have to assimilate, so they would rather, you know, hide their difference. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's great. Yeah, it's great that you emphasize that. Yeah, I think, I mean, there's so many churches that are very hospitable, but still work on the assimilation model in the sense of um, welcome, come be part of us, but actually come and be like us as well. And uh, what I think is different about the intercultural model is that we say every time someone joins us we will be different and we will change and we welcome you to bring all that you are and we in fact we really don't want you to be like us you know and we want you to be you and we want you to change us so I think that's about how space gets changed and new communities are formed. So, um, and so, so many churches are on that journey and that road, but perhaps, you know, a privilege for us has been um, having had a few more years of, of trying to function like this. Hmm. I think that's so cool. Called. Sorry? Yeah. No, I mean, it, it's a calling. I think it's a real calling but it takes time and it takes um willingness to listen and learn and be together it's not something that you can just pick off a shelf because it's so much about who it's so much about the the people who come and and the stories the individual unique stories that they bring um and 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 listening and loving people it's about it still comes back to kind of being gathered around christ in worship but in love for one another doesn't it so Mm, it does so can you give us an example maybe one example of how um the things that your church uh, how your church has changed as a result of you know someone new coming yeah, I mean, that's an interesting one because we have lots of new people the whole time. <laughs> um, so I think it it is about um, learning and listening. So, for example, let me give more recently, we have had the privilege of welcoming many uh, people from Iran. And uh, that's an, a journey you know, of, of listening to the pain, pain of displacement, um, you know, but helping us all in that. We all, I think, have to reflect on, you know, our own place in the world and how we are all resident aliens, to use an expression of mm. Stanley Havas. You know, so actually, when you listen to someone's story, it shows you the truth of your own story, if that makes sense. <laughs> mm-hmm. You have a different perspective as well, right? Because of that. Yeah, absolutely. And so then um, 
how we not only say I think it, I think it does also raise questions about who is guest and who is host and how we try to break down that so that Christ is host and we are all guests all of us um you know no matter and, and it's not about um how long we have been in the uk or in southall or at our church you know it's about we are all equal and i think that's the the wonderful radical vision of revelation 7 is that there's absolutely no hierarchy whereas you know church often functions on on hierarchical grounds doesn't it and so mm. You know, I, yes, yeah. I'm the vicar. <laughs> so it's a, but I I like to see that as lead servant, you know. Mm, wow. um, and and but there's no hierarchy in the Revelation vision. Nobody is others. Nobody is judge. And we are there simply united by our common focus on, on Christ. Hmm yeah that's really good and i don't know how much you want to go into identity politics so you can say as much or as little as you like but you know just now you said that you're the vicar of this church which is very um, multicultural and it sounds like intercultural it sounds like there are relationships and people wanting to learn from each other and uh, which is wonderful mm-hmm. and so how does it feel for you to be um a white woman leading this church in this area? It feels such a privilege. It's, it's, you know, a journey for me because I'm a woman of white privilege. I recognize that. And for those of us who are white privilege, it's an ongoing daily work of self-reflection in ourselves for how do I surrender control, power, how do I lead with integrity in a way that builds up my black and Asian brothers and sisters and genuinely seeks to love and serve them. I think you know there's the church of england as a whole um is a white privileged institutionally racist organization and so i'm well aware of of the need to work constantly on myself um and 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 i hope and pray that we raise up leaders who will sooner rather than later be able to take on the church and and lead it and uh yeah that's our our real passion and and desire Mm. so yeah in terms of you saying that it's something that um is self-reflective and you're something that you're daily learning and doing like an internal work i guess in yourself can you give us maybe an insight into what some of these things are yeah, so um, 
I think deconstructing my whiteness um, and dismantling, I went to a really good day recently on called Dismantling Whiteness. And um, deconstructing my privilege means, for example, um, a friend of mine in the congregation recently, black um, friend said that she had had someone refuse to shake her hand at the piece. And um, I was really upset about this because, you know, we are a very, very friendly church. And, and I was shocked. Mm. And then in self-reflection, I realized what, just what my shock reveals. It, it reveals that I have never, I'm, I'm, I've never ever had someone, I've had people refuse to shake my hand, but not because I'm white, not because of the color of my skin. Is it because of COVID? <laughs> <laughs> Did it happen before that? <laughs> Um, so, so, you know, but not because of the color of my skin, because of my ethnic background. And I think, I think it's moments like that where you realize your own privilege, your own power and, you know, how, how I move through the world with a whole set of assumptions, um, that are weighted daily in, in my favor and and so that that was a real eye-opener for me um just as you know when I've walked with people through for example the UK immigration system and seen how people are treated from the inside um Mm. that was deeply shocking but in I have to recognize that in being shocked myself that just says so much about the, the privileged life I have led. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Um, it's interesting that you say that kind of in you being shocked, it reveals the kind of privileged life mm-hmm. that you've lived. I'm trying to think, um, can that be applied in other contexts? So if someone, uh, if we take another race, if someone is in a largely... Asian area whether or not they haven't experienced some of these things and therefore they would be shocked too if they heard about how people are treated in the immigration process um I don't know yeah that's really interesting I I don't I don't know the answer to that Jesse I think it's (laughs) the I I I think what I am very conscious of is that the majority of of you know not and and I know that people disagree with the term white privilege um and in the UK there are lots of people who are white but do not have privilege but they have never Mm. uh, I don't believe that discrimination on the basis of their skin color they've Mm. had huge disadvantage for many many other reasons uh, for which we also struggle for justice for them Mm. and uh, what to say solidarity uh, you know show show solidarity with them but but it's um it's not something that it's a it's it's racism doesn't touch them they are white 
Um, mm. So I don't know how that translates. I just know that I have a responsibility as a white privileged woman to do this work for myself and hope to um, encourage other white Christians that I know to do the same. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's helpful that um, you have to explain that a little bit, especially for you know people who who might be white working class as well. Um, I exactly. do I do want to be sympathetic in some ways and just to kind of encourage white people to not feel guilty also because of their skin color. Um, and I think a lot of the discourses that we hear these days is very much like okay, if you're white, then you can't say these things you have to be allies you have to listen and I think it does put people in a bit of a difficult position um and it's yeah in my experience other ethnic groups are racist but maybe the connotations and the consequences are not as great as when whites are racist against other groups does that make sense it does. I mean, I think it should be uncomfortable at the moment. I, mm. I think it's rightly uncomfortable. And I think, you know, I have been uh, reading and working with uh, Layla Said's um, amazing Me and White Supremacy workbook. And it's really uncomfortable. And so it should be. And my discomfort is nothing in comparison to my black and Asian brothers and sisters who daily face racism. Um, so I, I want to keep perspective on discomfort. Um, you're right, I think white guilt doesn't help anybody uh, because it can lead to inaction. So, you know, we need to do that work ourselves. So that yes, there needs to be repentance, absolutely. Um, and yes, that should be feeling uncom feel uncomfortable. But from there, we need to, I believe, work to move forwards and take action. I think what we're facing, and which she talks about in the workbook, is um, a particular form of anti-black racism. And I think that's um, something that we need to tackle together. But I'm far from, you know, as a white woman, I have to start from where I am and take responsibility, first of all, for myself and hope that that gives inspiration to others who might take a similar journey of self-reflection. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you for that. And without giving us too many spoilers about the workbook itself, uh, what kind of tips or practical ideas does it um, share or maybe that you've thought about as well in terms of taking action yeah so I mean I, I'm only halfway through so we've been you know she she really helpfully unpacked things like white superiority white fragility white exceptionalism um, so it's a sort of work of deconstruction I'm, I'm yet to be reconstructed um, but I think so, for example, at, at our church, what we have done, a couple of practical examples 
is that um, in the spirit of uncomfortable conversations with a black man uh, by Emmanuel Acho in the States, um, I asked a couple of my black friends here if I could, we could have uncomfortable conversations with a white woman. Mm. And um, so I get to send them questions. <laughs> and say well what do you think about this or what's your experience of this or you know um and which has been really helpful because these are women I trust deeply and who love me in all my brokenness fragility and white privilege and um from that starting point of of fellowship Christian love um mm you know I ask questions and 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 that's that it is born in relationship isn't it that's where the journey begins for each of us is is actually in relationship so that's been really insightful and really helped me to grow and sometimes they quite rightly call me out on things that are uncomfortable and so they should and that's what I'm asking them to do too and the other thing that we did last year after Black Lives Matter and, and the tragic killing of George Floyd was that we started a faith, race and culture group at church. Hmm. And um, that's a mixed group of about a dozen of us who were just looking at the life of our church together and looking at how race and racism and prejudice impact us and how, you know, there's so much that is under the surface if you think about the iceberg of racism yeah. and white privilege. So, so much under the surface, so much is unconscious. Uh, so much is about, um, somebody called it recently, posture, the posture mm. of white people in, in, um, in intercultural spaces, in, in multicultural spaces. What's our posture? And um, so we're looking at all of that within this group and that's been again it's been really painful at times to hear people's stories uh one thing we did last summer after george floyd was killed was we had a prayer meeting and um it took a whole it was very spirit-led and took a a very deep deep totally change of direction to what i got on my paper in front of me but um deep deep sharing of stories that people haven't often hadn't said before Mm. of their experiences of racism in this country and and so painful to listen to but so important that these stories are heard and that we seek together to bring healing and justice and reconciliation but I think that work is only really just beginning because it's so painful for people to share these stories. Hmm. Yeah, it sounds like um, at your church there has been some good, good kind of starting points, and the process has begun, um, which is good to hear. And have you seen any kind of um, like how has it been since these conversations have taken place? Well, living in COVID, and so <laughs> it's difficult because we don't get to see each other. But I think um, a renewed sense of, 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 you know, 
wanting to function differently together and a new sense of commitment and also excitement really of God doing this work in us. I think that um, we are blessed to perhaps have had an opportunity to be slightly, slightly further on in our journey, perhaps in some churches. And so I think sometimes churches have got stuck at the point, and, and, and this is right and good and proper, but of celebrating difference mm. without, and, and whilst also papering over the cracks of any difficulties. Mm. So, you know, celebrating each other's cultures, each other's food, each other's styles of worship, but not really facing actually what is quite challenging as being an intercultural church is that that there's always going to be cross-cultural misunderstandings we all have unconscious bias yeah and um and actually you know i suppose in the past often what we've done is try to sweep those away sweep them under the carpet and say oh it doesn't matter but it does matter these things do matter they cause pain and hurt and so I think we've got to a point now of saying we're not going to carry on ignoring where pain and hurt have been caused. We are going to seek um, healing and reconciliation in, in those places and in, in those encounters. And so I, I think my prayer is, and I got to the stage even before George Floyd was killed of recognizing that if we wanted to grow both in depth and number, um, but with deep integrity, deep Christian integrity and a genuine love for one another, then it would mean actually having to lean into these difficulties as well as celebrating the joys, because actually you can only paper over pain and crack and the hurt and injustices for so long um and actually at the end of the day they are hurting a group of people that have been hurt oh you know over far too many years and that is not right and i'm not willing to be the vicar of a church where people come and um experience mm. pain because of racism and prejudice mm. and so actually if if the, the Lord was then asking us, I believe, to take the next step towards being um, the people he wants us to be by actually embracing uh, and looking at the pain we cause one another. But actually, that's the only way to come to genuine fellowship, healing, forgiveness, repentance, justice. That's mm. the only way, you know, just as, you know, you have to have Good Friday before Easter Sunday, you know, genuine life together, resurrected, spirit-filled life together depends upon embracing our pain, leaning into that, being honest about it, seeking, you know, forgiveness, repenting. That's the only way to have genuine life. And that's the only wow. way to really be that vision of Revelation 7. You know, the people gathered around the throne can only worship with genuine hearts because they, you know, 
they arrive. I love that passage. You know, they arrive, they're hungry, they're thirsty, they have had no shelter, they're in tears, you know, but it's only by doing that work with Christ of reconciliation that they then agree to worship. Oh, wow, that's beautiful. Uh, <laughs> listeners, you can't see, but Anna wasn't reading anything just now. She had her eyes closed <laughs> most of the time. It is coming from her heart. And yeah, I do. I hear you. And I hear the kind of emphasis on the fact that it's uncomfortable and difficult, but well worth it. And actually thinking about this kind of process um, of like um, awareness, honesty, lamenting together repentance acceptance reconciliation like this kind of thing isn't just a one-off as well like it could be hard work and take a number of years but actually it's an ongoing thing and it's a journey um because yeah there, there's always going to be change of people there's always going to be new things that happen in society and culture always changes right culture is something that is dynamic yeah. Um, which is why I loved how you said earlier about how your church aims to learn from each other and to change um, when there's different people who come into the church as well because of mm. the dynamic nature of culture. Um, so long as we don't compromise on some of the biblical foundations. Yeah. Um, but I see that, I definitely see that about the work of reconciliation and how important that is and how that is really governed by us being reconciled to Christ and then that means us being reconciled to one another difficult but important so important I mean it's got to be a work of grace and not of law hmm. you, know, you know it's um it's only because of Christ but I I think this is the most important work personally I feel this is the most important work for the church not not just just the church I serve but the church as a whole because actually we do want church to be to be the place it's meant to be which is welcoming to all genuinely welcoming um, mm -hmm. but it's a, a work of grace which as you say Jesse rightly is going to be ongoing continuous it always should be yeah um, you know it's dynamic as a community and it, it's only going to be complete on on the day of Christ's return. So, and when we do step into the new heaven and the new earth. So, you know, this is this is an ongoing life journey. But for me, it feels like the most important uh, journey that the church, that the Lord is asking the church to make in you know twenty twenty one. Yes, I hear that. I agree. <laughs> We're going to come towards the end of the interview now. So I'm just wondering if you have any kind of last remarks or any encouragement or anything you'd like to share right at the end before we um, end. I think I just want to say that what I've recognised is that striving for racial justice, recognising white privilege um engaging with it um and trying to build a genuinely intercultural church it, it's not this is not about me being white savior i really want to say that strongly this is about 
love for my black and Asian brothers and sisters, but it's actually about my own, also about my own liberation and my own true freedom before Christ, recognizing that I am not the person that God wants me to be. If I stay in my own kind of cultural, cozy little cultural corner, and um, I, I suppose I believe very much that um, if you use the story of the Good Samaritan, you know, I'm not, I'm not the, the Good Samaritan. I'm the one lying in the ditch and needing help because, um, you know, I'm the one that's trapped, stuck, unliberated from my patterns of thought, from my own, um, you, you know, that we haven't gone into the history of, of you know colonialism and everything like that we could have talked about that Jesse too you know and how uh, institutional racism affects the whole of the Church of England but um, you know that enslaves us in a way that um, it's it's about justice for our black and Asian brothers and sisters but it's also about recognizing that it, it, it's about our own liberation and um, the need for for us all to make the journey of repentance if, if we don't do that then we ourselves are not fully the people that God wants us to be and and, and recognizing that for all of us this is a, a, a painful but life-giving journey this is the only way that I will find life I do believe that racism is the greatest sin uh, in our country, in our church at the moment. And so much of it is buried within ourselves. So hence I say about the importance of self-reflection. Mm. Um, but, you know, seeking to be, you know, to really follow Christ, take up your cross and follow me. Um, you know, that is always going to be painful, uncomfortable. Uh, and yet it is a way that leads to life. You know, whoever loses their life will, will be given life by Christ. And um, and so it is in that vein. So that in some ways, I, I'm, I'm conscious that sounds selfish. But what I'm trying to say yeah. is that actually it's about mutuality and it's about shared blessing. And that is about being more truly the church that that god is calling us to be more truly the the, the foretaste of revelation 7 only this way only only this way jesse for, mm. for each and every one of us only this way one way yeah and definitely what you said about the internal work and how that is really important hmm. it's so deep and um you know, we don't see ourselves, do we? We just externalize, we look out, we judge, we self-defend, we self-protect. You know, I I really love Robin D'Angelo's work on white fragility. Um, because I see that all the time in in people, white liberals who would say, uh, you know, um, well, I'm not racist, you know, uh, but because we have associated that with the far right 
um uh, we we think that mm. that um it's 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 about events or you know but we don't see how the systemic structural impact of it and so and we're we're fragile we defend ourselves at any kind of quite slight mention of our privilege or our racist assumptions and um, even if that's as, as simple as calling out well you know I've got black and Asian friends and and so I can't possibly be a racist or whatever um I can't possibly be someone of white privilege and and that that is that is another form of white fragility that that means that we try to protect ourselves from doing that inner painful work but but it's it's a contemplative journey but it's a journey of trying to bring up what's unconscious into our conscious so that we can repent and we can be reconciled and we can apologize when we need to apologize. I try to apologize. I try to call myself out now and I ask trusted friends to call me out. Will you call me out when you hear me say something that, that hurts or um, is, is offensive? Please call me out. And, mm. uh, you know, it, it's only in those relationships, I think, that we grow and a change. So it's down to, you know, I've got uh, an incredible group of, of people around me here at St. John's who are very loving, very patient. Mm. It's down to them. It's thanks to them that, that I'm on a journey of, of change and, and hopefully always will be. I'm committed to it. Mm. And yeah, like you said, it's a two-way or many-way process as well. Um, and can I just ask, I know I, know I said we were going to finish, but do you feel like you're kind of walking on eggshells not when I have relationships of love and trust because actually and when I've got perspective so I I believe people here love me and I believe I I hope they know that I love deeply love them and so we're doing this together and I know that people don't want to cause me pain by calling me out, but I'm actively saying I Mm. want to be uncomfortable. I want to have taste, and it can only ever be taste, Jesse, of of the, the, the pain that you have carried for so, so many years. I I have deep commitment to the fact that my black and Asian brothers and sisters must not be made to carry the burden for change racism is a white problem and they must not be left carrying the burden to change so so whilst i don't want to recenter on whiteness i don't want to say oh it's you know the white saviors are going to sort all of this out you know kind of no way no way it's got to be a response it's always a response to um our black and asian brothers and sisters uh, and and it's a, it's a posture of solidarity um it's not about self being savior it's about solidarity mm-hmm. but it is about saying the responsibility is is with me and not burdening the people who have been burdened over so many years so many centuries with the the need to solve the problem that's no good so I don't feel like I'm treading on eggshells because I think it starts by loving one another in Christ 
and and it starts with a commitment to that and to one another in love and compassion and um people who know me and love me are compassionate towards me they know I expect to mess up I will spend my life messing up Jesse white privilege is not something that when you recognize it leaves you it's always going to be with me with my children as well and so I I I expect to mess up a lot I do a lot and I expect that to continue but by the by the work of grace in my life and and, and in deep, committed, trusting relationships, that can change, I believe. Mm. So, no, it's about freedom. This is only about freedom in Christ. Mm. Yeah, that's a foundation. Um, and also, you know, I expect many of us will mess up as well, not just <laughs> So we have solidarity we're all, in that. We're all, we're all human and we're all broken, aren't we? Yeah, Indeed. I know. What a positive <laughs> note to end this. Um, but... Yeah, God, yeah. Is good. <laughs> God is good indeed. Well, thank you for your time, Anna. It's been <laughs> a privilege. <laughs> so I feel awkward saying the word now, but yeah, it's been a privilege <laughs> <laughs> to have you on here. Um, I have so many, so many thoughts, but I haven't processed them enough to be able to say it right now. So I'm sure we'll continue this conversation later off air. But thanks, Anna. Thanks for having me, Jessie, and God bless you and your incredible work. God bless you. Thanks. Oh, wow. What an interview. Listeners, if you want to listen back, take notes, please do so. Rewind, start from the beginning and share it with other people as well. I loved pretty much everything she said, but one thing that stood out to me was how she talked about when people go to her church it's not about them having to assimilate and fitting in, but actually, what can they bring? She talks about you changing us. And I just love that. And it's definitely food for thought for me as I continue to be planting an intercultural church. She also talked about some communities, some churches papering over the cracks without addressing racism, without addressing things like prejudice which I know definitely happens. And what would it look like? What would it look like to be in a church who does do this? Like she said, we don't want to perpetuate systems which cause pain to quote unquote people of color. So how can we challenge people in love? How can we be gentle about it, but be serious about it as well? These are some things that I am mulling over. After the conversation, Anna and I talked for another, I don't know, one hours, two hours. And the thing is, just to have her as a white woman really caring, saying that racism is the greatest sin. I don't know, something healing about it or something like, you know, I I know I'm being heard um, by the majority or someone who represents the majority culture. She is not afraid to talk about whiteness and white privilege. And that is amazing. We need more people like Anna Paulson. Anna, thank you for being an inspiration and a role model, I hope, for others. I've also learnt a lot. Well, I'm continuing to learn um, about things to do with race, racism, Christian identity, diversity, all my favourite topics. But since this interview was recorded, I have learnt a little bit more about racism. So 
I probably sound a bit naive in this episode, um, maybe too sympathetic to whites. I'm not sure how to describe it. But next week, I'm hoping to release me, <laughs> release me. I'm hoping to put out a talk that I did on anti-racism. I also did a course about stuff like this. So yeah, I'm looking forward to just sharing with you some things that I have learnt recently. This is a journey that I'm on and a journey that I hope you are on too because yeah, we can't ignore this anymore. It has to be addressed. We must educate ourselves and do something about racism. On that note, see you later.